Welcome. This is season three of The Daily Marketer, where we've decided to do something a little special. Earlier this year, startup junkie and marketplace master Ty Wolf Jones, hey Ty, approached me and pitched us the idea of instead of interviewing founders and marketers, why don't we dive into the world of marketplaces, the VH1 behind the music of marketplaces, or what is the making of the sausage of a marketplace? Ty could bring the operations point of view, and I could bring the marketing point of view, and we could make some marketplace magic, or maybe a little more like marketplace mayhem. So join us for the series where we've spoken to over a dozen marketplace leaders and pioneers from Uber, Convoy, Bellhop, DoorDash, Rover, but also some rising stars and marketplaces from multiple countries, venture capitalists, and more. You're not going to want to miss an episode. How are you able to do that with only less than 2,000 gig workers using, using the platform? Yeah, so what's been cool to see, and this is one of the first things we need to understand, and it, it kind of goes to what I think is one of the more important marketplace characteristics, which is density, right? In this case, we only operate in Seattle. And the density of the data is critical because if you define where the marketplace sits, it's within a metro area, right? Seattle's different than Chicago and Dallas or any other city. And so uh, what we've seen is with 2,000, uh, a little more than 2,000 workers now that have signed up for the platform, uh, we have over a million job data points. And with those million job data points, right, we can, within a, a pretty narrow uh, you know, range of uh, estimation or prediction, like start to understand the likelihood of someone you know, missing a given earnings target um, during a given hour. And so it's really a statistics problem, right, like it, it, when it comes down to it. Um, and layered in with, um, of course, like adjustments, factors, a little bit of a, a learning curve and seasonal trends and all those pieces that need to come into it. But, uh, you know, it is really something where uh, when you have that density of data at, a, at the marketplace level, you can pretty quickly start to understand your relationship between number of data, uh, amount of data, number of workers and your accuracy rate on those predictions, which ultimately gets us to the point where we feel comfortable guaranteeing them. That's very cool. There's, there's, it reminds me, there's this company in programmatic job ads called AppCast. And it was one of the first companies with paid job postings to provide a CPA commitment of an option. Because at that point in time, there was only cost per click and cost per posting back then. And cost per click was, I mean, there's there's not that much risk in, in a, a click. It happens pretty immediately. But making a commitment that we're going to pay you, and that was based on the, the data points that they had collected too, you're able to pay $100 and only $100 to get it, it, an applicant to, to, to click on the job posting was, was a huge game changer. And then all these other companies the past six years have done something like that. Uh, that's that's super interesting. It, it's it seems like it's totally worth the experiment, right? Yeah, it's been cool to see the early results here, right? And we're thinking a lot about expansion and everything. But if we're just talking about Seattle, you know, we've guaranteed now over a quarter million dollars in in worker earnings in the first couple months for those workers. We're seeing workers that actually, you know, that follow our recommendations. They earn on average twenty percent more. Um, and so for you know the average worker, that's a big deal. Uh, you know, that's an extra. Hundred dollars a week from what we see, and four hundred dollars a month. It's almost five thousand a year. That you know, 
you can come in and when you optimize your time and schedule and have transparent data as an individual, you make the best decision for yourself, right? And so um, that's a big part of our overarching longer term thesis, you know, with this kind of uh, marketplace where, you know, today, unfortunately, there's kind of this disconnect between worker uh, and they don't have good information to make the right decisions. They end up making, you know, unfortunately, sub uh, optimal decisions for their own time and earnings. And on the flip side, the companies really struggle in being able to communicate and find and reach these workers in mass. And so they spend a ton of money trying to find people. And we're trying to essentially get rid of a lot of that inefficiency between the two sides and, and create a, uh, a more efficient marketplace long term between worker and company. And you're speaking my language. Optimization. I'm all about optimization all the time. This is this is pretty much that using using data and information. That that's the thought here, right? Is that uh, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to imagine that we expect people uh, in a situation where jobs are variable rate uh, jobs, you know, in a given city to just magically make the right decision, you know, about what job they should work on a given hour. Uh, and it's way different than probably a lot of people that may be listening, like to to this, right, where you kind of know every day where you're going to work, uh, how long you're going to be there, uh, how much you're going to make. Uh, it, like that's where people in this space start. They say, uh, okay, Tuesday morning, I'm going to open up one of these apps uh, and work. I don't know which one is going to be optimal or not. I don't know how much I'm going to make. And so what they do is they kind of default to tactics where they say like, well, I, I'm just going to try to make $200 today. And I don't know how long it's going to take me, or I don't know what jobs I'm going to get. And so it ends up being kind of a crapshoot every day. And so we're trying to really, if you can make that process really efficient and get people the right job, right time, uh, you know, our longer term thought here is that companies can then do a better job of coming in and competing for those workers' time with kind of a more transparent exchange between worker and company. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I want to jump in real quick because there was this, earlier we were talking a bit about the gig, the gig work, you know, that Uber and, and Lyft and others created uh, in some of these towns was democratizing the opportunity. Now it feels like you're taking the data and the opportunities, the, the, the data behind these opportunities that all these companies have provided to these gig workers and democratize that and, and give access to that. So that more people know, like you said, have the info to make good decisions. Um, if this is, you know, if they're doing a lot of gig work. Right, especially. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I mean, because right now there's no clearinghouse or market rate or you know any sort of tr um, trustworthy information like that out there. The companies won't release you know the information um, you know publicly for a lot of different reasons. Um, there's no place for the workers to kind of pull all that data together, and and so what ends up happening is you just kind of have a lot of anecdotes out there in the marketplace, um, and so. I, I think anyone, you know, I uh, could probably attest that that's not usually particularly helpful in understanding, you know, key decisions if you're a worker, but also, you, you know, it's, it's been tough for policymakers as well around trying to create better regulations for the space, given that, you know, it really doesn't fall distinctly under employment or independent contractor kind of relationships. Um, and so we're, our hope here, right, is that we can uh, use this underlying data and, and bringing it to the worker and, and organizing it in a way that's apples to apples also across different jobs, um, we can ultimately create a platform where we empower people to retain their flexibility like they do have today. And it's the number one thing they want to retain in this work, but create more of a safety net, create more certainty and, and get rid of that anxiety. Yeah, super interesting. You know, one of the things that we've, one of the concepts that we've been 
Um, well, there's two things. There's one concept that we haven't been exploring in marketplaces that you brought up, which was density, um, which I think is a super interesting marketplace concept. Um, but the other one that we've talked a little bit about is network effects, right? Of like the more people on the app. Um, and I think, you know, we talked a little bit earlier of, of Uber really, you know, tapping into this in a lot of ways. Um, and of course, then there's the flip of it where riders become drivers, drivers become riders um, in that fully democratized time. But obviously pandemic just happened, you know, we're, we're, we're hopefully on the tail end of this thing, but the last year and a half, the world's lived inside away from each other, delivering everything. Um, you launched this business basically right at the beginning of that. Is that the right way to think of this? Is that what you guys launched solo? Yeah, we, we launched solo in the fall. Uh, well, we, I should say we started the con- working on the concept in the fall of 2020. We really went out there and launched the first part of 2021 here. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, have you been able to like kind of ride a bit of this wave to get more of this data, get more of these people um, interested in what, what you're doing? Yeah, I think there's a there's a couple pieces there. Uh, the first is the pandemic probably accelerated uh, on both sides of what we'll call like the marketplace between workers and companies or like job platforms. Right. It accelerated both sides over the past year and a half because. Um, starting on the company side, uh, you saw this, like you mentioned, Ty, like everything was suddenly being delivered uh, to people's homes. Um, and, uh, you know, it wasn't just, you know, getting in a, what you actually weren't getting in a ride share in vehicle anymore. You were instead ordering in, uh, you were ordering groceries, you were ordering from Amazon with Amazon Flex. Um, and there's a bunch of others out there as well. But like the, those platforms, you know, accelerated probably, you know, three, four, five years ahead of where they would have organically in a steady state. Um, And so, you know, it was interesting you see that. So there's a lot more job opportunities in any given city. And there's also a lot of last mile companies out there like uh, Viho, uh, for example, or Roadie, right? There's a lot of other ones that are longer tail out there as well. But then on the flip side, you saw a bunch of, unfortunately, a bunch of people be put out of work, right? I mean, you know, I think that's somehow... Kind of amazing, but it's already kind of like forgotten is that, you know, 35, 40 million people were um, pushed out of their jobs midpoint of last year. And so, and especially in a lot of like retail, hospitality, frontline kind of work. And so uh, those people were looking for jobs, you know, looking for ways to suddenly, you know, pull things together. And, and so you kind of had this amazing, like, coalescing of, um, you know, a need for something like what we've been working on at Solo. And so that was one of the big catalysts for us jumping in here and saying like, hey, lots of jobs, lots of opportunities for people to kind of like uh, get into the gig space, not a lot of tools or d- data or resources to know which ones to use. But then also you have a ton of people kind of like being pushed into this. I mean, unfortunately, unwillingly, right? Or like maybe they weren't planning on it, um, but it's an opportunity for them to hopefully make the most of it. And um, see if that's something they want to do long term. So, um, so yeah, and and you know the network effects piece like probably builds on top of that a little bit, and we talk, can talk about that separately for sure. So it seems like you know the theme that we're hearing in in your your work history, especially in the last you know half dozen years or so, is is really about these drivers, about these these workers, whether they're you know truck drivers, Uber drivers and now solo it seems to be a tool that's geared right towards them what what's drawing you to um this community and and and, and doing this for them yeah i think uh, the early experience of getting to know people face to face and hearing those stories were were really um 
you know, interesting, inspiring. Because I think what was cool, Ty, is, you know, I talked a little bit about the, um, you know, larger group of East African uh, drivers here in Seattle, for example, getting to know them. And they had very distinct and unique stories. But then you'd go to Anchorage or Boise and it'd be a different set of stories. You know, it'd be, hey, I'm a former cab driver. Hey, I'm a stay-at-home mom or, you know, uh, I'm a firefighter. And like I do this on like, you know, uh, the off days because they're three days on, four days off kind of thing. Uh, and, and so what I thought was really cool and what drew me to it is that it was a, uh, you're seeing people either enter the workforce that couldn't be a part of the workforce for a long time or they were finding alternatives and the flexibility that were so much more amenable for their personal lives. Right. And so, uh, and still able to make money, right. And like still support their themselves and their family. And so I think what has been interesting for me to see over the past like six, seven years is that it's gotten a really, you know, it's gotten kind of a bad rap, right? Like the gig economy has, in spite of all the terrible press, like continued to grow and more and more people go into it. But there's so many obvious problems. And so, uh, the, you know, for the worker side, especially. And so that was kind of what drew Keith and I to this is like, we were looking at this and we're like, wow, there's like so much like good here underlying. There's so many reasons why people are doing it in spite of all the challenges, but it shouldn't be this hard. Why is it so hard? And so I, you know, it goes back to kind of like, we believe there should be a third way of working in the, in the United States. I just don't have a whole lot of faith in the, you know, probably in us creating some wide sweeping uh, legislative change, you know, to create that anytime soon. And so it, we kind of view it as an opportunity to help serve this group of people, give them a lot of the tools, the data that we had at the bigger companies, um, get the companies competing for their time. And then, you know, as we grow up here, build out a real safety net that helps them cover everything from where do I work today to how do I track my expenses? How do I do taxes? How do I you know, tap into the right financial or insurance services for my business of one and make this a real long-term sustainable option for them um, you know, while not having to give up the flexibility? And I think we see flexibility not only being something that the labor force is moving towards more broadly in the white collar sector, but also you know, more on the front lines as well. And so I, I think it's for Keith and I, it's, it's not just about the, we're super excited about the marketplace and like the, the city by city piece, but it's also, we think tapping into a more macro trend that, you know, we've kind of seen an undercurrent in for a while and now it's kind of exploding with everything that's gone on the last two years. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why, you know, I, I you know, Jacob and I were so excited to have you on here. I think, you know, we obviously have talked a lot about marketplace dynamics here this season in Marketplace Mayhem. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, whether we're talking about an advertiser an advertiser online in an online marketplace or a driver on Uber, right, we're talking typically about a small business, a business of one, a truck driver who's, you know, driving around in his business. Um, and, and I think it's super important to uh, keep the spotlight in the right place um, as we talk through this. And some of the things you brought up there about it shouldn't be this hard, right? In, in, in a capitalist society where we, we value the entrepreneur um, in all of the things that we've built in this country, shouldn't be this hard to, to be a, a business of one and be able to go out there and make a few bucks, especially if people want the services you're providing. Um, and, and again, we could go, that could be a blog um, where you're selling ads or it could be a driver, you know, driving, you know, delivering food. 
Um, so cool service with guarantee, but how do we, how do we make sure this scales and this keeps growing? How are you guys actually um, going to make this pan out, this guaranteed pay scale and, and this type of thing? What, what, how are you making, how, yeah, how are you going to make it successful? How are you making revenue on the other side? Yeah, no, I think it's a great, great because question. Because it's free and for now, right? For gig yeah, workers. Okay. It is. Yeah. So, so right now it's a free service and, and, you know, a big part of that is, uh, you know, when you're going out there, uh, this is maybe more a startup viewpoint, but like, you, you know, your product is still changing and evolving and, you know, you're asking people to take a little bit of a leap of faith and, uh, try this thing out and like, Hey, give us feedback. And so, um, you know, you want to keep the barriers to that low. Uh, and you want to, you know, hopefully deliver some value to people without, you know, um, you know, thinking about that, that charging up front. Now, as we've like developed this and it's become more of a reliable product and a little bit more mature and we're thinking about cities two, three, four, five, um, we are going to move more into, uh, you know, a model where there's probably going to be an aspect of subscription for workers, you know, something that we hope it's more like, hey, five to $10 a month and you get hopefully a few hundred dollars of value or, you know, 20, 30 X ROI on like, you know, joining um, because it is a community led platform, right? Our data does come from the workers themselves. So we want to keep that barrier low and um, obtainable upfront. So there's a piece there of like the subscription aspect. Um, I think there's also the, the flip side of this, which is, you know, companies have a very hard time reaching workers. And so over time here, as we hopefully bring more workers onto the platform, uh, we can help companies reach these workers, but you know, ultimately, be thinking about how we, you know, take a uh, a little bit of a cut of that side as well when they do find and bring on a worker that you know works on their platform or qualifies for whatever incentive they're running. So that's a big, that's a ton of spend on the company side. Um, and then we're thinking about some other more intensive ways long term too, um, helping people with taxes. That's kind of a one time each year thing. Thinking about how we get people tapped into the financial services side. So. So, you know, it's free today and like we're going to continue to think about how we jumpstart new cities, probably with keeping it a pretty low barrier to entry. But, um, you know, over time here, we hope that the value we're bringing workers can be something we ultimately, you know, share a bit uh, in. It reminds me a little bit of, I don't know if either of you guys are on Robinhood much, but it is tempting to do the Robinhood gold, right? Like just even the Spotify, no no ads thing. I think there's there's so many, there's so much blue ocean in in all the things to make the gig worker feel like i can do this in a, in a stable predictable way right especially if you have stakes right you mentioned there's 40 million people almost that went uh became unemployed uh during the pandemic i mean there's people in there that have a mortgage loan right like that have oh, yeah. car payments and so so the stakes are there and we really do need something like solo. To me, it feels indispensable, to be honest. Well, I mean, appreciate that. And like, uh, I think it's, um, you hit on another piece there that's super important, right? Around like, uh, that a lot of people in this space, uh, either under, they either don't have a credit score, or, you know, have uh, uh, very little access to credit. And that's a whole nother area that, you know, if you're your own business uh, today, I uh, in uh, the United States, like you said, Ty, a second ago, it's actually incredibly hard to go get a loan. <laughs> it's it's yeah, like yeah. incredibly like you know and banks have card. like yeah and a, yeah, yeah a, a loan credit card anything right yeah, like right, um, right. which is wild and so there's a there's a whole other area there that we're excited about long term of like hey if we you can stabilize people's income 
know, they'll know where, you know, the money's going to come from this week and help them make that decision. You know, you can also hopefully maybe get them tapped into building things like a credit score uh, over time here too, and a responsible way. And so um, we're really excited about that kind of stuff too, because a lot of people are, you know, sealed off from, you know, accessing that capital and, you know, whether there's probably broader macroeconomic debates on like, uh, you know, uh, lending and, and uh, you know, debt and, and everything else. But like, the reality is, is like pretty much everyone buys their house with a mortgage loan. And, you know, pretty much everyone buys their car with a loan and everyone starts off with a, you know, usually starts off with a credit card, you know? And so those things are basics in our economy and these people are getting left out. And so we think there's a lot of also really interesting stuff that the data that we're collecting and helping bring back to workers can serve them also on the other side of the equation here and accessing things that they need to spend money on. Yeah, there's there's so many layers to solo if you, you know, once we start digging into it at the micro level, like you just mentioned, ability to, to generate a line of credit or a loan that's going to be possible for someone who has more stability of income as a gig worker at a macro level you all are as as you go from over 2000 let's just say to 200,000 a million people using solo there becomes an orchestration of an ecosystem that's going on right and i heard on it was a the rideshare rodeo brought up a great question because he himself used to be a gig worker and he says well, what's going to happen when you know there's twenty thousand people on the app, and it says, "Hey, you're going to get the best hourly if you go right now and work on Instacart." Right? It's is it? It's not going to push twenty thousand people to go work on Instacart in that specific city. There's actually going to be this orchestration that's going to happen as Solo being the conductor. Is that right? Yeah, I think there is. I mean, and you know, we'll. We'll obviously we've got a little ways to go to get there, uh, but uh, yeah, but w- if and when we do, uh, yes, a hundred percent, right? If you are, uh, you can't give everyone the same suggestion for the same job because they're uh, variable rate jobs, and the more supply, you know, that ultimately comes on, the the lower the you know the pay rate will be, and that's just how Uber and Instacart and DoorDash all work, right? And so. Uh, there is going to need to be a little bit more of that um, conducting and load balancing uh, process for for people, um, and so you know that that can look like a Google Maps kind of like, hey, you, if there's a traffic accident on on I five, right, you can't have everyone wow. all take Aurora, like you know you you got to split up the traffic a little bit, and so uh, you know that's kind of the, some of the stuff that we're really excited to dig into long term on the data front because. Like if you can start to understand where 10, 15, 20,000 people want to work tomorrow, you can start to understand pretty quickly which platforms are going to be under or oversupplied and, you know, start to hopefully break that up a little bit so that one, it, it you know, benefits the workers. You don't want them all running the same place. And then um, it turns out to not be that great of an experience. Um, but also I think that gets back to how you kind of make this whole marketplace between worker and company way more efficient is, you know, you start to give that, um, kind of do that load balancing, give that transparency and like start to get people to the right place at the right time. And that that's ultimately what we think benefits the worker the most long-term. Yeah, I imagine some really cool data visualization going on in any city, <laughs> in each neighborhood, like globally, imagine being able to, to access and see that. I think that'd be pretty sweet. I, I, I just want to ask before we start wrapping this up, how, how do you get more... I guess in this situation, it'd be customers being drivers. Um, what's the what's the scaling plan there? 
going from really zero, zero to one in Seattle was uh, in the beginning, a lot of on the ground tactics. So I, which, you know, may seem uh, relatively uh, basic, but we were literally at the airport lots and outside of restaurants and like in grocery stores, hunting shoppers down, which was probably a little creepy for some people when we're in target and we're like, Hey, I see you have a ship shirt on, you know, like, uh, let me tell you about solo. Um, so, you know, there's some really, really basic stuff that you try to do to kickstart things, right? Like getting on the ground and like getting that early, early feedback and building a relationship with your users is really important. Now, like, I mean, as we go to city two, city three, city four soon, like, there's going to be aspects of that, but there is also some of the other, you know, um, maybe more scalable, uh, kind of tactics that you can use as well. You know, it's always a, a little bit of everything from, you've got digital marketing pieces, you've got, you know, aspects of like referrals and word of mouth uh, in the beginning. There's actually really robust social communities in each city for uh, app-based workers that a lot of people don't realize. In Seattle, there's over 20,000 people in different Facebook groups. Um, For example, on like rideshare drivers of Seattle or like, you know, food delivery drivers of Seattle. And so there's a bunch of uh, also like digital tactics that really starts with the community, right? When it comes down to it. Um, that we uh, have learned about in Seattle that we plan on employing in cities two, three, four. And and over time there, right, hopefully then you're able to build up a little bit more of that notoriety, a little bit more awareness more broadly and can tap into that to seed future markets after like cities four and five here. Super cool. Yeah, I love that stuff. I came from Rover where it was scaling pet sitters and then at insurance, it was scaling our insurance agent base, you know? So if if you want to talk more, we can definitely... Talk more about that too. Yeah, we're we're actually looking uh, at uh, now that people are kind of going back to the office a little bit, especially Rover and Wag and whatnot, and like looking at pulling those into the the platform soon. So yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Before we jump in, I have one actually generated this question. I was thinking about Seattle and and the 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 state of the gig work right now, and we mentioned it earlier. Like, not many people are taking rideshare, right? They're not doing the Uber Lyft. Um, but it seems like th- that you can, because of that, prices have gone up, right? So the, it's really expensive if you do want to take an Uber these days comparatively. You know, it's still yeah. probably cheaper than other things. But there's a lot of food delivery, a lot of other types of delivery happening. So it seems to me like an interesting problem for a gig worker that Solo may be able to help solve here, which is, do I go work Uber where I can make maybe more per ride but less rides, or do I go to you know, DoorDash, where I can get a whole bunch of deliveries, but maybe not as high variable pay. Are these the types of things you guys are starting to be able to see and and, and help help drivers with? Yeah, and that's the really cool part is that now that we've started to build up a little bit more of a group uh, here in Seattle, um, we've been sharing some of these insights on our blog, worksolo.com slash blog. And it, what's been cool to see is that I mean, you know, some of the trends are more obvious, right? Pandemic started, ride sharing fell off a cliff, like fell 30, 40%. Earnings, you know, dropped into the mid-teens for ride share drivers per hour. But then what you saw was a rapid climb to 25, 30 bucks an hour on food delivery and grocery delivery. I mean, we've even talked to some grocery delivery uh, workers in the past year who have, you know, clipped six figures, for example. Um, And so like, you know, and he's working hard. Don't get me wrong, but like, um, but uh, you know, yeah, I mean, that's that's awesome. And so, what's been interesting to see as we've kind of 
pseudo come out of the pandemic, I guess, in Seattle. Like, I don't even, I don't know what stage we're in anymore. But like, you have seen ride sharing kind of crest. And like, it was the the best job in town for, you know, June, July, um, around here as we came out, earnings on Uber and Lyft, 30, 35 bucks an hour. And what has been interesting, though, on the flip side is that food delivery stayed pretty stable, about 20, 25 bucks an hour, depending on the platform. Uh, it's grocery delivery that's really declined quite a bit in the last you know, three to four months here. Uh, you know, in some cases, falling from about 30 bucks an hour to $20 an hour. And so, you know, pretty substantial 30, 30% drop. Um, and so I, I think it's, it's interesting because it's almost like a little bit of an interesting lens on kind of consumer behavior too, right? You know, people obviously feel more comfortable going back to the grocery store now. Um, but on the flip side, like are still ordering food in even as the pandemic kind of kind of kind of comes to a close. And then you're definitely seeing people get back in the uh, in Ubers and Lyfts as they, you know, venture back out into events uh, occurring. And so that's that's definitely been a, a, a awesome area for workers to make a lot of money if they're willing to go back. And of course, there's some personal preference there to think about, too, though. I think that's the thing. You guys are balancing that personal preference. I think there's always that, right? Like, oh, I'd rather not have anybody in my car, so I want to deliver food. But if I can go, you know, take a couple hours, I only have a couple hours and I can maximize that by doing ride share. Yeah, I might do that. You know, even though it's not my personal preference, I might go and do that tonight to make a few extra bucks. Yeah, that that's exactly right. And the the and the hope is right. it, It. is that we're helping bring that transparency so that, you know, this is an example of a worker that came on early on, but he had been working with Grubhub for two years exclusively. It was like, I'm, I'm only working Grubhub. Uh, and he was making about 17, 18 bucks an hour. And, um, you know, he, he saw, he's, he'd always thought about Uber and Lyft, but didn't know if he qualified, didn't know how much it paid, you know, what are the best days to work? It's a little daunting, right? And he went out and he's, he's actually added four platforms now and he's on five in total and his earnings are up at like 30 bucks an hour now. And so, you know, when you have that choice, you know, that flexibility uh, and those options to choose from now, suddenly in a lot of ways, those companies are competing for your time and you can pick from the menu on any given day, like you said, within your preferences. Um, and, you know, that's kind of the exchange we're, we're hoping to help build here for workers where like they really are empowered to make that best decision for themselves. Hell yeah. All right, Bryce, we ask every guest rapid mayhem questions. So oh God. <laughs> are you ready? I'll do my best here. Yep. Okay. See, the first thing that comes to your mind, what marketplace would Bryce Bennett be? Oh, geez. Would I be? Can I say solo? Uh, yeah. Hell yeah. You were, you were in the cap too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Perfect. Okay. What's a marketplace you like? that is not so popular or well-known yet? This is like a hard question because like marketplaces by default need to be relatively big, <laughs> you know, yeah. so like uh, to be successful. Um, you know, I, I really like, these are well-known in Seattle especially, but I really like OfferUp and like the spin they've taken um, on like, um, you know, what used to be kind of like Craigslist only like domain and like kind of sketchy. And, you know, OfferUp's made that whole like, uh, community-based kind of like buying and selling in the real world, not just on eBay. Super, super cool. So like, I, I think they're, I know they're pretty well known, but like that would be one that I, I think is pretty interesting to see how they've kind of turned what I think a lot of people thought was kind of like Craigslist and you're not gonna be able to beat Craigslist. It's free. They've like turned it into actually a, a really amazing business. Yeah. And I think they merged with Letgo too. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Bryce, what's a favorite marketplace that failed? This is going to sound funny. I guess I'm like on the topic, obviously, of like the, the gig economy. But um, I think Sidecar was an interesting one. Uh, that, uh, and the reason being is they they were doing things a little bit differently uh, than Uber and Lyft, where they would allow the driver to set their own rate, which I think was really interesting um, and a really interesting kind of like experiment uh, because you know, it, it really did empower the drivers. It really was like true marketplace, like sell your your ride for whatever you'd want. It was interesting in terms of how it failed because it there was a problem of like transparency and speed of getting that inconsistency back to the rider uh, where like it, it felt like an inconsistent experience. And that I think is where Uber and Lyft kind of like ultimately were able to kind of edge them out with a few other things too. But like, I, I think that was still a really interesting concept and one that um, you could see like, potentially working maybe in different circumstances. There's promise because you could create a really premium ride experience and charge $50 yeah. for the ride compared to someone who paid 20 and you're like, this is totally worth it. You know, maybe there's a mariachi band in the car or something with you. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly though. Right. I mean, there is an aspect of like differentiation of experience that I think Uber and Lyft have gone away from where it's like, you know, everything's pretty standard. It's kind of like what could have happened had it gone the other way. Different dimension. Last question. What's a marketplace that doesn't exist yet, but it totally should? I'm going to give you the Homer pick here. But like, I, I think uh, I think there's going to be a fundamental shift in in labor in like not like we talked about, not just with, you know, software engineers and you know tech workers and all that kind of stuff, but also, I think on the um, you know the front lines and maybe like more of the um, uh, work that you know has been more fixed to a location uh, you know recently. And so, in our case, I think a marketplace that should exist is uh, you know one that allows workers to pick and choose the best job uh, and have that transparency and have co- companies compete for their time. So I'm going to say solo. Uh, and so we're, we're I know we we exist, but we we've got we've got some room to grow here and, and bring it to more places. So uh, I'm going to say solo there. Love it. All right. Bryce, where can we find you? And are there any asks of the audience before we go? You can find us at worksolo.com. Uh, and my email is bryce at worksolo.com. If you'd like to reach out, I uh, always enjoy making connections. And, you know, we're growing uh, here in Seattle. We are building a, uh, in contrast to kind of the, the trend out there, we are building in Seattle first here and with a team. Uh, and we're uh, growing quickly, coming off our seed round uh, a couple of months ago. And so if you're interested or know someone that might be interested in helping us solve this really uh, awesome problem, please reach out. Uh, I'd love to talk with you. We're hiring across a lot of different roles. In some specific roles, it looks like back-end engineer, a few different engineer roles, lead mobile yep. engineer, mobile engineer, and then actually a community manager too. Is that right? That's right. Yep. So I, obviously uh, a lot on the technical side. i uh, but also on the business side as well. And, and those roles will continue, new ones will continue to pop up here in the coming months. Very cool. And I know it's it's just always appealing. Is there equity included in the compensation for any of these roles? Uh, yes, very important. It's a combination of salary, equity. We do full benefits covered by the company, um, but equity is an important part of you know anyone joining an early stage startup. And so definitely an important component for us. Excellent, excellent. So worksolo.com. Everyone, right. and- Bryce, we'll include, we're going to have show notes too for everything we've talked about. And uh, we'll definitely include that there too. Bryce, it's been super fun talking to you. This is great. Thanks yeah, so much I for, mean, I, yeah. you know, you know me. I mean, you, Bryce and I have known each other for a long time, but I think 
what you're doing here at Solo is something, like we said earlier, that we really wanted to highlight to kind of uh, cap off what we're doing with Marketplace uh, Madness. here. This, it was this, a must. Yeah. Exactly. Talking to the worker. I mean, the end of the day, this whole thing exists for these these workers to be able to to do what they do um, and, and work solo, <laughs> literally work as an independent uh, contractor, independent business owner. Um, and, and I think what you guys are trying to do is uh, is pretty cool um, in helping them. And it's uh, it's an important part of the conversation that we have to keep having. So really appreciate it, man. Thanks for the time. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. It's been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks again, Bryce. All right. Thanks. Ciao. Bye-bye. What a phenomenal episode, huh, Ty? Yeah, that was great. And we really hope that you got as much out of it, listening to it, as we did making it. Thank you for listening in. Yes, I second that thank you. And don't forget you can like and subscribe if you wish. We'd rather hear of your thoughts. So tell us what you think of the episode and leave a review, please. Mayhem on, Ty. Yeah, mayhem on, Jacob. <laughs>